My mother was a stickler for the rules, and I may have shared this story before, but when I was at high school, we go to the canteen with 10 cents to buy 10 one-cent lollies. And, uh, you know, when I got back to where my friends were sitting and counted them, I found that I had 11 one-cent lollies instead of 10 one-cent lollies. And uh, when I mentioned that to mum, she said, well, make sure you go to the canteen the next day and take that extra cent that you owe them for that extra lolly. I didn't. I was too embarrassed. (laughs) But I think mums are the first people who can pass on an experience of the love of God to their child. Such an important thing that the child first knows the love of the mother that is a reflection of the love that God has for us. Such an important role. As well as expressing that at home, my mum was also my Sunday school teacher. That's fine, except there was only our family there, myself and three siblings. And one was very young who used to run around, plus one other family that had two children. So there were six of us all together, a toddler and then people in various ages um, up to um, primary school age. Um, I was probably the most boisterous one there. But uh, mum persevered because she knew it was an important role to uh, educate her children in the way of God. And uh, you can't turn off that kind of um, desire that mums have, Christian mums have, or the love that they have. Uh, It's an everyday thing. That's my segue into the theme for the year. It's Jesus every day, every day with Jesus. And uh, as Pete's already mentioned, our current theme within that is looking at everyday power. So this is the fourth in that series of everyday power. Steve spoke to us a few weeks ago. He talked about three things, power for declaration, power for demonstration, power for dedication. Pam then spoke about power in the word of God and the power of having fellowship and sharing hospitality and meals with one another and the power of prayer. And Pete's already mentioned the points that started with P from Jess's message last week. Just a reminder, if you ever miss a message in church and you want to catch up with it, they are online. Uh, you click on Northies and go to podcasts and uh, you'll hear them all there. And for a bit of fun, if you want to do it like The Voice on TV, you could set up your computer behind you and turn your back to it. And when they say something good, you could hit the button and turn around. <laughs> Just add a bit of fun to it. But today we're moving on in our series of... Don't do that now, though, please. (laughs) Wouldn't that be an interesting thing for a speaker at church to see which people turn around and which people just facing opposite ways snoozing? Um, So our fourth in the series on uh, on power, everyday power, and uh, we're reading from Acts chapter 4. Last week, uh, Jess spoke to us from Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John, uh, through the power of Jesus, healed a lame man who'd been lame for 40 years. And uh, the chapter today looks at the fallout from that. Acts chapter 4. The heading in my Bible is Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is simply a term for the Jewish gathering, like an assembly of people. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
And even though it's Mother's Day, he's my lame dad joke for the day. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) But keep in mind, though, that just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean that thing isn't real. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the cornerstone you builders rejected. Sorry, the stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So then they called them in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. It must have been an exciting time to be alive, to see the power of God at work and to see the infant church begin to grow like that. Apart from being my Sunday school teacher, another early memory of church with mum and dad was that dad was the minister, the church minister. Now I have a high respect for dad. Uh, What he preached on Sunday, he practiced in his daily life throughout the week. And he was my minister right up until the day that Jane and I were married. And for me, that was a blessing and a privilege to grow up this way. However, during my primary school days, the church that Dad was minister of was in inner city Sydney. It was a very old, traditional kind of a church in the heart of the city. Not many people attended. There was old timber, old people, and not many of them. And one of my memories of church was sitting in the upstairs section. It was a big church that had a big area downstairs and an upstairs area. And because we were young and quite energetic, mum would take us up there to sit and we sort of could run up and down. There's no one else sitting up there. But one thing we liked to do was to get on the 
balcony railing between the upstairs and the downstairs section and get little bits of dust and flick them over the edge and see if we could make them land on someone's open hymn book. Or better still, on a bald head. Lots of fun. But typical minister's family, we moved around and uh, in my teenage years we were at a church at Belmont. And what an honour to be part of that church during the 70s. Across many traditional denominations, there was a real awakening of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There was a fresh understanding of what that meant in the lives of people and, uh, and churches. And many traditional denominations were energised and empowered during those times. And much of what we experienced in those times in the 70s has become the normal for church today. And I believe that the way we can worship, the freedom we can have, the understanding of God's work in our lives has come out of that part of, uh, of church history. But as a youngster, I used to like to read a lot of books about what God was doing in the world. Um, there was a, an American um, lady called Catherine Kuhlman who had an amazing healing ministry. And I remember reading her book that said, I, uh, said, God can do it again. That was the title of the book. Stories of people who'd been amazingly healed through her ministry. Um, there was another book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning, They Speak with Other Tongues. But not all books were about obvious gifts of the Spirit or that power. At the same time, other books were being published. The Hiding Place um, tells the story of Corrie ten Boom and her uh, role in the Second World War, hiding Jews. Just an average, everyday family living in God's power. There was a book called God's Smuggler about a man, Brother Andrew, who would take Bibles into China where they were forbidden at the time and the amazing miracles that God did to get him safely across the border with loads and loads of Bibles. There was a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, David Wilkinson and Nicky Cruz, Run Baby Run, talking about the gangs in New York and how this man had a ministry to people in uh, those really violent situations. And a lot of these books I love to read testified to the power of God in the lives of everyday, ordinary people. And that left me with no doubt in my mind that God is a God who can work in the world through his people. But it's strange how things turn out, doesn't it? Because as all this is happening in the church in the 70s and we're hearing stories from around the world through various books and so forth, some people jumped on board with that and wanted to understand more of God and to learn and experience for themselves. Um, that's one response. Another response is people just a bit unsure. I think this is something I haven't experienced before, this everyday power of God in my life. And step back and just uh, hesitate and just look at it from a distance. But there were others still who just thought, no, this is not right. This is not how God operates. It, it tangles with my mind and messes things up. And I remember reading a book that uh, um, sadly um, said that the work of the Spirit and, and the gifts of the Spirit was something that God intended just for that time in Acts. That, uh, that was just to kickstart the church and get them up and get them going again. But at the end of that apostolic age... Um, God removed that, and now we just carry on business as usual. Now, when I read through the Bible, I don't get that. I don't understand that kind of thinking. I can't see any biblical basis for that when so many verses indicate otherwise. Um, plus, doesn't the church still need God's power today to grow and to fulfill its, uh, its uh, mission and its calling? I think there's a danger 
in suppressing the truth, what we read in the Bible, what we understand, and suppressing that. And that's what the religious leaders in the story of Acts were doing. They couldn't deny the miracle had happened. They had seen the result themselves. People had been there and people had seen it. It was truth. There was no denying that. However, they wanted to suppress it. They didn't like what they saw and they firmly wanted to put the lid on it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes about the dangers of suppressing the truth. He points out that we see the evidence of God in the world around us. We experience that. And yet people want to suppress the truth. It's not a verse to be read out or a passage to be read out in church this morning. It's one of those MA 15 plus verses. You probably all race home and read Romans chapter 1 now. But Paul wrote that at a time when Nero was the emperor. And we know from history that Nero was depraved, immoral, had no regards for human life. And Romans one thirty one talks about people with no understanding, no fidelity, no mercy, no love. I'm sure I'm not describing anyone here, but what I am describing is the sinful potential that humans have when we don't live by the truth of God. When we suppress the truth of God, we have to fill that with something else. And the verses in Romans outline the downward spiral that we can be caught in when we suppress the truth of God. We see his love expressed to us, his power at work in our lives, the lives of those who believe. But when our mind is closed to the truth, our whole mental process becomes warped. Wrong thinking leads to wrongdoing. And once we're at that point, we won't listen to our moral conscience or the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So suppression of the truth of God is a dangerous journey. In Acts 4, the religious leaders wanted to suppress the truth about the power of God and those who were becoming more and more interested in the resurrection of Jesus. They wanted to punish Peter and John, but weren't sure how to go about it. So they just ordered them to keep silent. So in Acts chapter 4, we see a very overt, very obvious way where people wanted to suppress the truth of God but the challenge this morning is to think about our own lives and perhaps in less obvious ways ways that are more subtle or perhaps not even intended we're also suppressing God's truth and I want to consider three things where you may find that you're suppressing the truth of God in your own life the first is that we can have a mind that is fixed towards what we see as normal, a fixed mindset towards the normal. This is how life is. This is how it goes. This is how it's always been. I've got it pretty well sorted out and know what to expect. I'm comfortable with life, so there's no need to rock the boat and introduce something that I don't understand. I guess it's like the Sadducees who are fixed in their understanding. They were clever people who'd studied the law, studied the scriptures, discussed and debated these things and had some degree of social standing. But rather than being open to the possibility that there might be something more of God than that they knew, they would defend their worldly understanding and position in the community. Do you ever get fixed like that? Where you think, no, I've thought this through and this is how it is and close the door to the fact that there may be more of God out there. 
I think it also threatened the leadership of the Sadducees. They liked to be the ones who were in charge, in control. And this was an experience that they couldn't understand. But let's keep in mind Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work that is at work within us. So there is more of God than what we know. There is more of God what we understand or what we can even imagine. And we must make sure that our minds are open to that. Now all of us here today have some understanding about God and that impacts our beliefs and our actions, our thoughts, our responses to things. But is it possible that that's not the total picture? Just think about this. God is the creator of the universe. He hung the moon and the stars in place. What's the biggest thing you've ever made? A planet? The moon? I once made a one metre cube, metre by metre by metre because I wanted to show students in class what that actually looked like. I couldn't get the thing through a doorway. It was too big. (laughs) Don't ask me about hanging the moon in place. I couldn't budge this silly metre cube and had to cut it in half and rejoin it again. (laughs) He caused Jesus to rise from the dead. He loves you unconditionally. He knows you intimately. Surely there's something of that big, awesome, amazing God that you don't understand, but you can experience. And we hear something about a lame man walking in Acts chapter 3. And we say, that doesn't fit in my understanding of God. It must have been fake news. Or maybe we say, well, I've heard about God doing amazing things in overseas countries where people really know him and understand him and believe in that kind of thing. But it doesn't happen in Australia. And certainly not in my suburb and definitely not in my household. I don't believe that kind of stuff's really relevant to me. But I want you to understand too, when we're talking everyday power, we're not just talking big power. Sure, God does amazing things. But sometimes our minds are thinking of these amazing things and we miss the little things. Some years ago I had the chance to visit Las Vegas. I didn't mean to go there but I wanted to visit the Grand Canyon and that city is the basis for trips out to the Grand Canyon. So we were there. It was a curiosity. I wouldn't hurry back. But it's incredible the lights and all the different things and as you walk down that famous part called the Strip with all the hotels and all their... Uh, lures to the tourists and so forth there's these lights and moving bits and pieces and all kinds of things and you just think of the power that that city requires just to turn on their evening show Um, there it is in the middle of the desert and just outside the desert there's um, banks of solar panels and all kinds of things powering that city so we can think of God like that I suppose and his power in a big way but keep in mind that This small building needs power as well with our lights and our sound system and the PA for the amplifiers and so forth. That also requires power. But keep in mind, my my iPad needs power. There's power at work in that as well. And then to take it even to a smaller scale, my, my watch 
has a battery. That requires power. So there's lots of different ways that power is used. It's not just a big thing. And it's the same with God. Yes, the miraculous does happen. But if we only consider God's power as the big miraculous happenings, then of course we'll think it's not happening in our lives. There's a lot of ways it happens just in the small day-to-day moments. I think the prayer cards are a reflection of that. When Peter was reading them this morning, there's needs for prayer, but there's praise for prayer as well. And that's a reflection of those day-to-day things that uh, display God's work, uh, God's power at work in our lives. There's many times in the Bible where there's a verse that says, and their eyes were opened, and they saw, and their eyes were opened, and they understood, and their eyes were open, and they believed. And my challenge is, are our eyes open to what's happening around us on a day-to-day basis that shows us the power of God? The weekly challenge is about that, but we'll come to that at the end of the message. But I think if the Jewish leaders held their position and tried to suppress the truth, they would forever be in conflict with the truth. And if power in our lives is suppressed, if God's working and his purpose is suppressed, then we're only ever going to be in conflict with him. Remember, just because we don't believe it doesn't mean it's not real. A second consideration is that perhaps you suppress the truth of God and his power in your life because you have a low expectation of yourself. The Bible tells us that Peter and John were ordinary, unschooled men. And maybe your thinking is, oh, I'll leave all this stuff to those who are clever, um, to those who are closer to God or to those who are extraordinary in some way. It's not what the Bible teaches Psalm 8 is one of my favourite psalms. It talks about the majesty of God's creation, the moon and the stars that he's put in place. It doesn't talk about the meter cubes, but the moon and the stars that are in place. It talks about the angels, all of his creation. And the person writing the psalm says, what is mankind? We are just mere mortals. How could you possibly even think about us? But he goes on to say, yet God, you made us only inferior to yourself. We are above every aspect of creation, including the angels. That's how God thinks about us. We're only inferior to him himself. Perhaps you think, well, that's true in a broad sense of the human race. But me personally, no. I know my faults, I know my weaknesses, I know my limitations, the little things inside in my dark corners I wouldn't want to tell other people about. Perhaps you're thinking that. Well, I think if you're thinking about yourself in that way, you're using the wrong scale to rate yourself. All God wants is a humble and willing heart. That's all he needs. And if he has that humble and willing heart, then he can use us. We don't need to think lowly of ourselves. We know that God can use us. I think back to Moses in the Old Testament, a time where the people of Israel had been in captivity for 400 years. Generations of people had called out to God to rescue them, to take them out of slavery, to deliver them to the promised land that God had spoken about, to finish that suffering and hardship. 
And finally, God comes to Moses through the burning bush. And I'm sure you've heard the story in your younger years. This bush was burning, but not being burned up. And God speaks audibly to Moses and says, Moses, I have heard the cries of the people. I feel their suffering and it's time to act. Moses, you're the man. You're going to lead these people out of slavery. So after this amazing experience, this um, demonstration of the power of God, this promise of the answer to prayer, this promise of hope for the future, Moses says, I am nobody. I can't do that job. And God says, I've chosen you. I've called you. You are the one. Moses' response is, what will I say? Well, I'll give you the words to say. Just follow the script and everything will be okay. Moses' response, suppose they don't listen. God says, okay, take up your shepherd's staff, throw it on the ground, turned into a snake, touch it by the tail, turned into the staff again. Moses, I'll do mighty miracles like that. I will convince these people. Moses says, no, Lord, please said someone else. The Bible then says, God became angry at Moses. <laughs> get out of the car. Just get going. Just do the job. And I think that we can be like that at times too. God's saying, yes, you. Yes, you're the one. You can go and speak to that person. And we're just full of excuses. We're suppressing the truth, the truth that God wants to use us. God wants us to reveal his power to other people. And we're suppressing that. In Acts chapter 4, in that story we read, it says the leaders were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. They were amazed at that boldness. That came through the power of God. We too can be bold to fulfill the works that God is calling us to do. Interesting, after that story, the next part of Acts chapter 4, the heading in my Bible, talks about prayer for courage. And the believers all got together to pray for courage. So let's not neglect to do that. So maybe God's not calling you to lead a nation. Maybe he is. But what are the excuses that we give God? Uh, no, I won't talk to that person after church. We've got nothing in common. It's no use talking to Jesus about them anyway because they won't listen. You'll never see me stand up and speak. I'm far too shy. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. Everyone in my workplace has already got their own opinion, so mine's just one other, and I've got no right really to express my views to them. What if I say something and they don't believe? My days are too busy. I really don't have time to talk to anyone else in any kind of depth. Oh, it's a fairly quiet existence. I don't really have regular contact with other people. I don't know my Bible well enough, so I'll leave that to those who do. It doesn't really matter anyway. These can be all excuses that we have. In our Connect group on Wednesday, we were talking about the impact that apathy can have on our Christian faith. Or being lukewarm as described in Revelations. I think those things, apathy and lukewarmness, if there's such a word, are also ways that we can suppress the truth. I've uh, been enjoying riding my bike in the early hours of the morning over the last few months. 
and I get up early when it's still dark. I've got a nice bright headlight and a tail light that's a bit old, but it does the job. And uh, as I was riding yesterday about 5.30, I was heading up a hill, and I don't do hills particularly quickly, and uh, another cyclist came up beside me. And then we're just chatting for a while and where are you going and, you know, all that sort of thing. And then I said, look, don't let me hold you up. You, you get going. And so uh, he said, yep, catch you later. And off he went. I looked at his taillight and I thought, that's a great taillight. <laughs> it was the tail light, Holly, not the tail. <laughs> My theory is if I'm riding in the dark, I want to be seen. And my taillight that's some years old but does the job just didn't stack up against this one. And I could see him getting further and further ahead in this bright red flashing taillight. And I wonder if sometimes that's what it's like for our Christian life, that we're happy with just sort of a dim red glow, but we don't really want to be obvious. And I think if we're going to really see the power of God at work in our life, we have to be someone who is noticed. And the love that we have for God, the power that we have for God in our life is clearly visible. But remember, if we could do all of those things, speak with people confidently and preach about Jesus and invite people to come along to church and and chat with them, if we could do those things already, then we wouldn't need God's power, would we? So when you think, I can't do that, that's when God's power can be at work at greatest in you. In Zechariah chapter 4, we read the verse, it's not by might, or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's the clue to it, isn't it? All you need is a willing heart, and you'll see God's work in your life. I dare you to pray this prayer sometime through the week. Something along the lines of, God, use me today as you wish. Open my eyes to possibilities and empower me with what I need. It's a very bold prayer. But remember, in Philippians chapter 4, the verse says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The third thing I think that can suppress the truth and our impact on the power of God in us and through us um, is this, and that's simply that we have marginal time with Jesus. We don't have much time with him in our daily life. In verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, the leaders took note that these men had been with Jesus. I won't spend much time on this one because it's been mentioned over the past few weeks, the significance of plugging in to the power that's available to us. But if you considered plugging into the power that's available is not just about your life. It's about the lives of those around you. And if we don't connect with the power that God gives us, we are suppressing the truth for other people. There's a current road safety driving campaign. And uh, you might see the big digital um, boards that are on highways and so forth. They can change it and notify you if there's a traffic holdup or whatever. A few I've seen recently says, your driving impacts the lives of others. Slow down. I'd like to say your time with Jesus impacts the lives of others. Speed up. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 of uh, a young man. It's called the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus said, "Uh, follow the commandments. He said, I've been doing that since I was a little boy. And he said, well, go and sell all you have. Give your money to the poor and come and follow me. 
And the story concludes with the man walking away sad because he was very wealthy. And we often use that story thinking about how possessions can get in the way of a relationship with Jesus. But there's another aspect of that story too. Jesus said to him, sell what you have, give to the money, money to the poor and come follow me. So he missed out on following Jesus. He missed out on that time with Jesus. Could it have been Peter and John and the rich young ruler healing the lame man? Could it have been the rich young ruler who spoke the message to the crowd of thousands of people? Could it have been? Now, yes, I'm speculating, but the point being, if we have the chance to spend time with Jesus and we choose not to, what impact will that have, not just on our life, but the lives of others? We don't know the influence we can have through God's power in our lives. So if we suppress that truth, it's not just us who suffer. As I wrap up, back to the mothers. I guess, mums, you could testify that once you became a mother, your life is no longer your own. You don't get to decide when you want to eat. You don't get to decide when you're going to sleep and for how long. You don't get to decide when you're going to have a shower. Jane couldn't even go to the toilet without company when our kids were little. I knew that when I arrived home from work and I opened the door to be greeted by my lovely wife, still in her pyjamas, red-eyed, with a handful of children, who she quickly passed to me, it wasn't the time to ask, how was your day, dear? I knew it was time to load up the double stroller and take a nice long walk, at least two or three suburbs away. (laughs) But what joy and richness that sacrificial love brings. And it's the same when we give, give our lives to God. Our lives are no longer ours. They belong to Jesus. There's sacrifices to be made, but the joy and richness that we find is incredible and doesn't just impact us but impacts the lives of those around us this is the truth of the gospel and the good news is we don't have to do it on our own we have the power of God's spirit in our lives and that's a truth that can't be suppressed the weekly challenge do we have that ready to be distributed here we go It'll come around shortly. For those who are just visiting today, each week this year, we have a separate challenge. And I'd like you to take this one, think it through, and uh, see how it can help you as you spend every day with Jesus. The challenge is, throughout the day, each day this week that is, take time to identify and share with someone how God's power has been evident even in the small things. Reflect on how God's power is evident even in the small things. Not the lighting up Las Vegas kind of things, but perhaps even the keeping the watch ticking kind of things. And let's look for that and not suppress the truth that God has for us. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for mums. Thank you for who they are and all they mean to us. And Father, we pray that their love will be a reflection of the love you have for us. And I thank you for that as well. Father, I pray that we will be in tune to how your power is outworked in our life. And Father, point out if there's things in our life that are suppressing that truth and suppressing that power. And I pray that we'll be known as a church of individuals who collectively see your power in our lives on a daily basis. Amen.